0: Hello,
1: and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is leading a movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Ava, and this week, Kanisha Madeline and I spoke with Kaz Brecher, founder of Curious Catalyst, and innovation strategist for Made by Us. As the daughter of two rocket scientists, Kaz loves the process of inquiry and thrives in ambiguous contexts, drawing from her background in psychology, behavioral science innovation, emerging technology, and media. She believes that empowering others is the best way to have an impact and spends half her time creating directly and half her time teaching others, striving to help people see what they uniquely bring into groups. She is committed to respecting everyone's uniqueness and helping people be confident and centered in order to be empowered and do work. She believes that courage is is contagious, as are all behaviors. In tackling issues and challenges, she asks what's the problem and how do we connect to people who have them? She firmly believes that the more opinions you have, the better the solutions you can come up with. But there can also be a lot more friction as a result of different perspectives. She encourages us to think about what we can do together that we haven't done individually and emphasizes that changing systems and society is never easy. Being a translator is critical because different touch points resonate and we must always come back for the basics. What connects us? Listening, respect, curiosity. Thank you for joining us in our first podcast of 2023. Hello, everybody. My name is Ava Disney and I'm a senior from St. Louis. Kaz, I'm super excited to talk with you. I know that you've accomplished so much and I'm very curious to find out more about your inner workings and like your values and beliefs. So we're happy to have you
2: here. Thank you so much. Very excited to be here.
0: Yeah, um, so hi, my name is Kenesha. I'm a high school senior from Queens, New York. And in addition to being on the podcast, I'm also a facilitator at Why Vote. And I think today I'm just like excited to discuss what leadership can look like, um, like what spaces leadership can kind of materialize in and how that looks in both like the work you do on the day to day, but also like in a civic space and with young people. So um, I think there are like so many channels through which young people are becoming like community and civic leaders and are getting involved. So I'm just, yeah, I'm excited to talk about a little bit about like what those channels are, how we can maybe make them more accessible to young people and a little bit about what the organizations you work with do to actually make that happen.
3: Hi, everyone. My name is Madeline Mays, and I'm a high school senior from Brooklyn, New York. And in addition to being a podcaster, I'm also a lead civic fellow. Um, here at NGP at our civic forums. Um, and today I'm really excited to hear um, about your work with Curious Catalyst and um, everything that you've been involved with. You s- seem to have um, a large range of working with different organizations. So I think that's really cool. Um, I'm especially curious of what brings you to the work that you do, especially being the child of rock, two rocket scientists. And it seems like a very interesting jump. Um, and I, I'm wondering like just how you got to where you are today and um, how you see like your experience growing up influence the work that you do now. Um, yes, yeah, so I'd love to turn it to you for an introduction.
2: I'm Kaz Brescher. I am the founder of Curious Catalyst. I like to say that I spend half my time doing innovation and strategy work and creating new things and solving gnarly problems. And I spend the other half of my time helping people learn how to do that. Um, I mostly work with adults, but I have also run workshops in High schools and in public spaces with mixed groups and in companies. I work in a lot of different contexts, so I often think of myself as a translator um, between groups. That's a lot of the work that I do. I did start off as a scientist. I was a chemistry major. Um, I always loved science, and I guess what I loved was uh, the process of inquiry and figuring things out. Like, why does it work this way? Why does it... I was always asking a ton of questions. However, Um, I also, there was a very strong art background in in my household and appreciation for the arts. And so very quickly after I went to college, I wanted to be a filmmaker. So I ended up studying um, psychology, social psychology in particular, because I was interested in humans and kind of how we make decisions and what we do. And that goes a lot to leadership. Um, But I started in Hollywood and spent um, about four years working in different elements of the film industry. And then technology kind of bloomed Um, And so I got involved in the tech world and I've always just kind of followed my interests. And I think where my parents come into this, my dad is a theoretical physicist and my mom is an applied physicist. Um, And he's very happy noodling on questions and, you know, he's he's just has fun. And then mom is like, no, we need to serve. We need to be useful. And if it's not doing something, it's not worth it. And I think I am really, and Curious Catalyst is really about that balance of managing inquiry with action. And I find very often, especially, you know, my mom was a public servant. She worked for the government um, doing environmental research in the Department of Transportation. And so there's always been sort of a sense of service and teaching and supporting others. And my dad a lot of hands-on science work um, in science museums and at the Exploratorium in San Francisco. Um, So I think that combination was really important when I said, I want to found a company and I want to find a way to serve that. um, At first I think I thought maybe I and others could be the primary problem solvers, but increasingly I found that if I wanted to um, have more of an impact myself, then empowering others to do that better was part of what I needed to do. And I've kind of, that's where I netted out with spending half my time doing the work, creating new things and half the time teaching others.
1: What are some examples of how you would help people? And can you give us some kind of insight on what kind of advice or what things you tailor to each individual you help?
2: I think one of the most important things is helping help starting by helping people understand we're all part of systems of influence and that you can have an impact and you have no idea you're having an impact just by showing up how you show up. And that's a big piece of the work that I think is the beginning of how you can help people understand how to create change. Um, And there used to be a big billboard up on the freeway in San Francisco that said, you're not in traffic. You are traffic, right? You are traffic. We are all part of it and how we show up in groups, whether that's in a school, in a classroom, in a dorm, on a university campus, wherever we show up, there are people who are watching in good ways, right? It's not about being creepy, but courage is contagious. And behavior and compassion is contagious. And so I think part of where I start um, in working with people is is helping people see what they uniquely bring to a room, to a group, to the world. Um, And I do genuinely think it's not so much about find your passion and then work hard. Even though when I was in middle school, I I was involved in a project and I was on my first panel, let's say I was 14 and maybe that's what I said was find your passion and work hard. I mean, I think there's a lot of other things that motivated us. It's not just passion. It could be service. It could be what lights us up. It could be how we support our families. Um, And for a lot of people, that's enough. And that's great. And I think that kind of um, dedication starts to unlock potential for others. When we see that it's possible for you to follow a different path, and I have two nieces who are 11 and 14, it's really important to me that they see that I've been making up my job as I go. Like I've sort of created something out of nothing and that's okay. Um, and it's been really hard for me to explain to people what I do and that's okay. Um, and so that that's kind of usually where I start because I find that if people are nervous or they're not sure that they can do it, whatever it is, you can't teach much. You can't learn much from that standpoint. So that's usually where I start. I think
0: this idea of like, Uniqueness and letting people follow your own path, follow their own path, especially when it comes to like politics, is something I think, especially by older people, kind of frowned upon. Like you're kind of supposed to only have one path to like making some sort of political change, and it feels like a lot of times, I I don't know how complex it is, but like a lot of times, people in the political space kind of try to like it. There's a very sp- strict like line to draw when it comes to who can be involved in politics and I think a lot of people try to kind of consolidate that power and be like if you don't have experience with this you can't be involved in politics you shouldn't have a say in politics almost like if you don't have a formal education in politics you don't have prior experience you don't deserve to be involved in that conversation and I think especially as like when you're a young person trying to get involved in those conversations that can be the most frustrating thing So yeah, I just want to reemphasize that I really appreciate the perspective that everyone has some sort of like unique value that they can bring to a discussion if it's even if it's not like traditionally what other people think should be in that space. So I just wanted to ask a little bit about how you kind of take that same philosophy of getting people from you know different backgrounds and with different skill sets involved and take that philosophy to like civic engagement and to getting especially young people involved in politics.
2: Yeah, it's a these are great questions, Kanisha. And I, I, um, I was gonna say right before Ava tapped out that, um, one thing I often say though is that everything I've said, I believe. I believe really deeply, and that doesn't mean it's easy. So while um, there, are, I'm sure there are lots of young people who want a seat at the table and want to get involved um, and want to bring their uniqueness. Um, These changing systems are is never easy. But also, I think what can be really hard is that idea I alluded to before, which is being a translator. And so even generationally, we speak different languages, different touch points resonate. And I often this is where my psychology background comes in is we have this sort of push pull tension as humans, um, and as social creatures, because Uh, you know, we see this in baboon troops as well. You want to fit in, people want to be accepted and fit in, and there's an evolutionary reason for that, which is that it was really hard to survive alone. And none of us can survive alone, we just can't. Um, no one's ever raised a barn alone, that the roads weren't built alone, like we don't do things alone, and people forget that. But, um, we want to express our uniqueness. And if you're so unique that no one can understand what you're doing, um, okay but you might end up living on the edge or you might be an artist, right? That's what a lot of artists are doing. Um, And so I think in the civic space, when we wanna create change, there's the importance of listening and the importance of communicating successfully. And so storytelling is a part of how we did that. We used to gather around a fire, right? That's one of the oldest forms of entertainment for humans. And it's how we relate to each other and how we make sense of the world. So one of the things I think in the civic space, when we look at intergenerational participation, as I think and it's two directions. It's not just for young people to do. And it's not just for folks who've been, you know, like my mom for three decades of public service, right? And she's like, oh, this is how it used to be. But it's she's not really like that. But um, but I think that in both cases, we need to bring a lot of humility to the table and be willing to try using different words if the words we're using aren't landing. And so I often, especially in leadership work, I'll talk about communication styles. Um, My mom's also an immigrant and she speaks seven languages. Um, I only speak two, but like very often when we travel, she's switching between multiple languages. And one of the things we know if you've been lucky enough to travel is that if someone is speaking a different language, we know that yelling louder in English doesn't work, right? if you want to actually communicate, you need to switch languages. And sometimes that means the words we use, the concepts we use, the references, the values. So that's how I like to think about where um, involving younger people at the political table, sometimes like coming in with all of those current references it makes it harder and makes the people who are already there, it's not about defensive or not defensive, but it's harder for them to understand or relate. And so very quickly we devolve into, you don't understand what I'm saying. So I I, I know it's a lot in there to unpack, but I think that when we come back to the basics of what connects us, um, respect, listening, humility, curiosity, and then recognizing when we're not using words that they're not connecting, how, how can we be willing to shift and say, okay, let me look at it this way. Let's look at it that way. Maybe in your time, it was like this. And in our time, it's like this, how do we make progress together? How can I learn from what you've done? How can you learn from what I'm facing? You know,
0: I
3: think this is so interesting and it makes me think about building connections with empathy and curiosity And that phrase empathy and curiosity has stuck with me all these past years. And anytime that I think about like not just leadership, but collaboration in in general, I keep thinking of that term empathy and curiosity and and it comes up everywhere. Um, This year I'm part of a business program. um, It's called virtual enterprise where um, you're in a class setting that runs a mock business. And when we started to think of ideas for our business, the first thing that we thought of is what's a problem and how do we empathize with the people who face these problems? And whenever, it, it, well in school in AP Lit today, um, we had to think about what true leadership is and what it looks like. We're reading Othello right now. Um, so kind of putting that into context of what leadership looks like. And the first thing I thought of was empathy and curiosity. And I think that's really, truly the way to make space for people without taking space away from yourself. Um, but I do really think that it's so important to try to empathize with people, which is difficult to do. It absolutely is extremely difficult. Um, but it, it comes with practice and it's really cool because once you see like how unique other people are, it makes you want to help them and not necessarily just think that helping others is a chore.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, and and appreciate those differences, I think, um, brings richness. I mean, a lot of my work is in innovation and we know that the more different perspectives you have, the faster you can solve problems. And usually the better the solution is the, the sort of hidden, um, piece of that, the shadow side, let's say, that no one talks about very much is that lots of different opinions, though, often leads to friction. And we don't get taught how to deal productively with friction. I mean, I see this at businesses all the time. I I work with Snapchat. I work with big museums. um, I uh, help design. And now I'm sort of the innovation strategist for a group called Made by Us. That's a huge coalition of history institutions. And they all have different perspectives, right? They, they, it's you know one of the reasons that we're we're working together and this project came together is that they said we want to reach Gen Z better. We're not speaking the right language, and we know we have important stories to tell. Um, but to get uh, more than 150 museums now, um, from the Smithsonian to the Atlanta History Center to the Birmingham Civil Rights Center to the Japanese American Museum, right? Everyone's got all these perspectives, and part of what we've said is together. There are things that you can only do together that no single one of you can accomplish like Monticello and Thomas Jefferson's you know, foundation. And um, we can pick any museum. They have lots of great things on their own but we know they can tell a more powerful story and bring those differences and uniquenesses to the table. And actually that tells a richer American story. Um, and that requires navigating complex relationships so when you talk about collaboration it's been um that's been a lot of the work in the first few years is how do you build patterns of collaboration between really different groups and organizations are just collections of humans different humans so now you've got different organizations and different humans they are luckily though i think united by a desire and a passion and that's where i think the empathy piece if we can come together around things we all care about or values Um, at a really deep level, then you can usually find ways to work through the differences.
0: Sort of like exclusivity of politics. I think what it can feel like a lot of times is like, again, that clash between how like a government, how like bureaucracy is supposed to function, and then what people want from the government, right? Like, there's like, a lot of things that constituents want from the people that are representing them but a lot of times it's, it's like a very easy cop out to say oh that's just not possible because that's not how government works um, and I think that's like very often used as an excuse to like defer really doing what people want because of like so-called due process or because that's just not the way things work. So um I wanted to ask you a bit about how you think not just from a governmental standpoint but also as like communities when politicians don't listen to us or when that I guess isn't possible how can we you know like bring different people together and bring different components of our community together to like create change really from the like the ground level up because I think especially in like in communities that aren't very united it's even easier for a politician to kind of take advantage of that because people aren't coming together to like demand something out of them and really showing them the changes that they want to see. So yeah, I guess like how can we more effectively organize at the community level? And since you just, you know, have knowledge of like so many innovative techniques to do that, I'd love to get some input on how we can kind of transplant those principles into the work that I think a lot of young people are getting involved in with community organizing.
2: I mean, it's a, it's a a big question and I will say, I definitely don't have the answers. Like in a lot of ways, I, I mean, if I suppose if I knew the answer to really effective community organizing, I would be out there myself much more, but I will share something that came to mind as I was listening to you. And there's a lot of angles and, and sort of threads we could pull but something that really stuck with me. So I have a total nerd crush on uh, the former US ambassador to Russia, Michael McFaul. Um, I don't care if you put that on air cause I alluded to it. He's a professor at Stanford now. And I like, anytime I see him I'm like the first person in the front row. I was just at my 25th college reunion, 8.45 AM on a Saturday, I was front row center. You know, I'm like by far the youngest person in a public policy talk. But five years ago, um, I heard him lecture and, and we were asking these questions about the tension between autocracy and democracy and government action. And he said, you know, we don't culturally have stories about collective action. If you look at almost all of our stories, there's a king, there's a princess, there's a knight who shows up and someone fixes things right we don't have stories about the community getting together and fixing things themselves or reworking the way that they want to collaborate or planting the seeds and the crops and taking care of their neighbors like there are very few stories like that the biggest stories we have are about one person with all the power someone else waiting for someone to come save the day and in they swoop and i think that there are fundamentally like really deep in us um we we don't have as many recent patterns of, hey, let's to get get together and do something together. Um, and even with, and what's hard about these, like as I was listening to your question, I sense so many tensions because on the one hand, I want the people's word, like let's all vote, right? But I always come back to, and I'm not a scholar of history, even though I'm working with these institutions, but during the time of the Lincoln Douglas debates, the populace wanted slavery, right? If the mob had gotten their way, we would have slavery. And we did for so many years, right? And so I often feel that there are these tensions between a figure like Lincoln though, who had power and was willing to stand up and say against the popular vote, this is not right. Like this is not gonna stand. And so I, I myself don't have a great answer, but I think that in the stories we tell, they shape our collective sense of what's possible, and they guide us um, in in the really subtle ways. And so I think the more that we have examples of people getting together and saying, hey, let's roll our sleeves up, or even if that is a matter of let's elect new leaders, those leaders if they really represent the will of a diverse group of people and have their best interests at heart, right? It can work in our favor or not. Um, So I don't know the answer, but I think that um, the more that we understand that elected officials can be when it works really well representatives who have the kind of empathy and curiosity that Madeline's talking about, a person who's going to care about what's best for us all and best for the lowliest of us and best for the weakest of us, like that person in power is going to do more good um, than if we stay home and we let the kind of people who are in there going, "Ah, ah, ah," you know, they've got their own power and interest in mind. Um, That's where I think it makes a difference that, you know, not voting is voting, not voting is voting for the interests of those who care more than the rest of us
3: i really liked actually that anecdote about like the stories and how there's always like a person who's meant to save someone and a person who needs saving and actually as you were saying that i'm like trying to rack my brain like is there actually any stories where you do have collaborative effort and for some reason the first thing i thought of was um I think it's called the shoemaker and the elves where you have all the little elves working together. And then I thought of like snow white and the seven dwarves and how the seven dwarves all live together. And yeah. And I realized like why in all of these like fantasy storylines are the people who are working together, all these like small little creatures, like whether they be woodland creatures or just smaller versions of not quite human things, Um, I think it definitely adds that narrative of, that's not really how we're supposed to work um, in a collaborative effort, even though that's how we should be working. Just, it it continues to just show how it's ingrained that you're supposed to have like these, these overarching like executive powers instead of the will of the people. And I just think that's so odd Um, actually kind of tying into this I do have a friend who grew up not watching any Disney movies because of the implications that it had on um, gender roles and societal norms and growing up I always thought that that was so odd like my very close friend from six years old wasn't aware of the stories of Cinderella and Snow White and Sleeping Beauty and I thought that that was the most shocking thing in the world but Um, she's grown to be a really strong, independent woman. Um, And I think that it's just odd to think about how these things impact our lives and we don't even realize it.
2: I mean, it's really interesting you're saying that because I think one of the things I really wrestle with and now in these times where we're seeing censorship of books and textbooks and what we learn, it's funny because in theory, I'm like, oh, wow. My first thought was like, wow, that your friend's parents made a really cool decision. But I actually think increasingly as what I've learned with Made By Us, we talk a lot about expanding the frame. um, And I do a lot of photography. And I think that that's the thing is when you show a tiny piece of it, like that's it, you don't know what exists outside it. And I think the more that we keep expanding the frame, like I would rather perhaps that your friend would have seen those Disney movies, but also, would have had an equal or more number of stories, greater number of stories of other kinds. And that's where I think when we over-index on a single narrative, sort of why as a filmmaker, I was really interested in storytelling first, because those things really impact us. And when we have a huge amount of stories that we see, then different just becomes, it's like, cool, all right, that's great. That's another story, love it. All right, that's a different way of living, great. And we just- I don't think we have enough examples of that. And even, you know, I know with Max Frost having just been elected as our first Gen Z, you know, representative, he has a different story. His path is different. You know, his his path to where he has landed is different. And I think we need more of that. Um, and that also goes in, in businesses as well is hiring different kinds of people with different kinds of experience. We don't have enough examples of it. So um, elevating those stories, I think will ultimately make a difference.
1: That's all for today with Next Gen Politics. I'm your editor, Amelie Gonzalez, signing off. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org slash podcasts for more links related to what we discussed and to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded.